0: If you're new uh, to our church or or to um, a a class that I teach, one of the things I like to do at the end of of every book study is give you a one message overview of the book. Uh, We love the details in Grace Bible Church. We love the spiritual, we love getting in the spiritual weeds in this church. Have you noticed this? I mean, where's Pastor Terry? Oh, he's five miles out, you know, in the theological forest, right? And we love that because we believe every word is breathed out by God and we want to exhaust uh, the meaning, meditating on each concept, applying each principle, and, uh, and just reveling in our great God and his gospel. And, and that's really important that we do that. But sometimes when we're in the weeds, we forget what the forest looks like. And so we try to balance that. Uh, Pastor Terry does the same thing usually at the beginning Uh, of his study if he starts a new book is to kind of give an overview so what i want to do today uh, effectually um borrowing from john MacArthur, uh the jet tour of first thessalonians so there we go okay the jet tour and uh roger sorry it's a it's a brand x i know i know i know i know can't make everybody happy john's not going to be happy it's not a yellow plane roger's not happy it doesn't say southwest i'll tell you um Okay, so uh, the jet tour. Now, before we get into the jet tour, every, every tour guide uh, wants to know that those that have participated on his tour have learned something along the way. So before we jump into the overview, I would just love to hear, what, what's one thing that stands out to you from our little time in First Thessalonians? Yeah, for as little as they had, they, they were they were faithful. They were, they 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 were an example. Okay. He encouraged, he encouraged for them to press on. Yeah, you encourage them to press on. Yes, Grant. How yeah, how ordered and precise God's plan is, particularly as we think about the end times, and um, and yeah, uh, God has not left us vague about the future uh, certainly there's some symbolism and some disagreement on some points but but you know the core issues god's like here's how it's going to go and uh, we can appreciate that yeah 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 the purpose of eschatology is to bring encouragement yeah if every time you talk eschatology with your buddies you end up in a fight you've missed the point Okay, uh, and I mean, and I mean that. Um, that that's we got to keep the purpose in check here, right? And we can have charts and graphs and spirited disagreements. We ought to do that, but at the end of the day, we, we got to leave Starbucks arm in arm, saying, "Aren't we grateful that Jesus is coming back and we're in Him and it's all going to be okay?" Okay, very good. Someone else. Okay, well, that was pretty good. So we'll jump into it. Okay, let's remind ourselves, what are we doing here? Uh, Our author in the book of 1 Thessalonians is Paul, accompanied by, uh, our Bibles say, Silvanus. That's probably what his mother called him. We we know him as Silas and Timothy, uh, who accompanied him. And uh, this is a really early book written in about 51 AD. So Jesus is probably walking the earth um, somewhere between Five to six BC through about thirty to thirty-three AD, so that's that's the range. Um, uh, uh, you remember the the great Greeks and Romans that that put the Julian calendar that they got it wrong. So Jesus actually wasn't born right at the point between AD and BC. You understand that? It was probably back six BC, three BC, somewhere in there. Okay, we'll talk about that because it's December. We're gonna talk about Christmas stuff. But anyway, so fifty-one AD. That, that's that's twenty years, less than twenty years likely since Jesus has ascended back to heaven. So a very, very recent book, um, one of the earliest New Testament letters written. It was the first letter written by Paul uh, to the church. And, of course, our believers in Thessalon- Thessalonica are the recipients we have some historical background in the book of Acts. We talked about that. You remember what happened? Paul comes in, he plants the church. Things are going well for a little while. Persecution rises up. They drive Paul and his buddies out of the city, leaving the Thessalonians, brand new Christians, hostile territory. And then uh, why does Paul write first Thessalonians? He leaves. And then why does he write? He's worried about them. He's worried about them. Sure. And um, so what's the first thing he, he does before he writes the letter? What does he do? Yes, he sends Timothy to go check on the Thessalonians, right? He can't stand it, so he sends Timothy. Timothy's with him. He gives up that ministry help so that he can go inquire about the welfare of his dear friends in Thessalonica. Timothy comes back, and what does he say? They're doing really well, right? Praise God, they're doing well. And, and Paul, out of his excitement, picks up his pen and writes First Thessalonians. And, and you you can hear his excitement, can't you? I mean, it just oozes off the page. He's excited. He's thankful. Uh, he keeps saying, you're doing great, you're doing great, you're doing great. And um, uh, so that, that's sort of the occasion. Well, I, I left this blank on purpose. What, if, if you were having to write the article in the MacArthur Study Bible on the themes of First Thessalonians based upon what you've read and you've learned, what would you say some of the themes are? Hope? Hope? sure yeah, the, the the definitely full of hope giving hope especially as we think about chapter four chapter five other ideas what's that yeah certainly love right he he encourages them that they're they're loving others well and yet excel still more in loving and caring right sanctification right this is the will of god right your sanctification I heard something back there rusty was that you Stay alert. Yeah, be sober. Remember we saw that last time? Be alert. Stay sober. Be alert. You pay attention. And um, thinking specifically about, um, you know, th- that's in the context of, hey, Jesus is coming back. The day of the Lord is coming. You've got a whole world of humanity who's asleep at the wheel, and they don't know what's coming. And uh, so let's not get caught up in, you know, the, the World Cup and your 401k and, you know, who's in the political office and what the price of oil is. And those are all things that are great, but don't, let's not get distracted from the reasons that we're here, right? So you're exactly right. Yes. Pause. Thankfulness. Thankfulness. Yes. He starts off thankful. He concludes thankful and, and uh, he, I think, infiltrates a, a thankful spirit throughout the book. We'll talk about that. We're going to come back to that because that's that's one of my points for a moment. Okay? Good. So you guys did a good job. And and this is something, whenever you go through a book, you're going through your Bible reading plan, you know, we're getting ready to come to January. Pastor Terry, as you know, is going to get up Sunday morning in January. He's going to do his um, Psalm 119 message, and then he's going to talk about spiritual disciplines and introduce the Bible reading plans for 2023. So you can be ahead of the game by getting ready for that. But one of the things you want to do when you're reading through your Bible reading plan you read through a book before you go on to a new book, just stop. Maybe maybe make a, a note in the margin or in your journal, or go tell your grandkids over ice cream. You know, do do something. But but try to summarize. What did I learn in this book? What were some of the themes? And uh, and then keep those themes in you so that the next time you read it, you have some idea what it's about. Okay, so let's talk about this. The, the I would say the the theme uh, really revolves around this idea of excelling still more. And uh, that's what we've titled the study. And um, so before we get into the overview, just to remind you, uh, I failed geography, as you know, so I like maps. Um, so here we are, right? This, this, is, uh, this is the boot of, you can read it, Italy, there you go, which means this is the, the Greco Peninsula there. And uh, so you got Crete down here. You remember that was where Titus was, Right. Corinth is right on this little uh, really important area because you think everybody has got to go through here in and out Athens and then if we come up into the uh, the western side of the uh, I guess well I guess the eastern side of Greece but the western side of the Aegean Sea you've got very familiar towns here right Philippi Thessalonica Berea and then of course Ephesus and the other cities uh, from the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3 are all over here. This is what is called Turkey today. Uh, so here's Thessalonica. And you remember there's a, there's a major highway that goes right through here. And then Thessala- Thessalonica was a, a very important port city. In fact, if you go there today, uh, it's right there on the water. And um, really, really pretty. Some of the, this isn't from biblical times, but a little bit older. And um, so this is uh, what it looks like today. And so very important port city, very important a highway city in terms of and, commerce and travel, so very strategic place to have a church. And, of course, Paul uh, is going to begin his missionary journey. This is his second missionary journey. Um, so he's going to begin down here in Jerusalem. He's going to come up to Damascus, to Antioch, through Tarsus, where he was from, all the way here through Asia Minor, Derby, Iconium, Lystra, Antioch, and Poseidon, up here into Asia Minor, over to Troas, He's going to cross the water over into Greece, and then here's where he comes through and uh, found, uh, establishes that Thessalonian church, and then comes down here and ends up in Corinth. And Corinth is where he's going to write the letter from, probably. They're they're staying in Corinth at that time. Okay, and uh, do, you, do you guys familiar with, with maps like this? Most of your Bibles are going to have a map like this in it in the back, or you can Google it or go to Biblehub.com, your favorite website, and find that. But when you're reading the Bible and and all these terms are getting thrown around, and you're like, I don't know, and you just skip over that, don't do that. Grab a map and then read it with the map in front of you. That's a great way to learn. Okay. All right. So excel still more. So I'm going to our, our jet tour. I'm going to overview. um, kind of the the book by by thinking about this concept of excel still more and uh, we'll talk about some of the themes that you guys just mentioned okay so number one we, we we've seen especially in that first chapter excelling still more in thankfulness and christlikeness excel in prayer and in, in prayer and christlikeness and, and here's this is the takeaway right the, the purpose of the jet tour is to enjoy the tour Yes, certainly. The purpose of the tour is to enjoy the tour, but we want to walk away saying, these are areas that as a church, as families, as individuals, we want to focus on strengthening these areas of our life. And the first two are thankfulness and Christlikeness. Okay? So let's just, again, we're not going to look at every verse in detail. We've already done that. This is the overview. But j- just get a sense of of Paul's attitude but Hans Hans mentioned thankfulness I mean just listen to this chapter one verse two we give thanks to God always for all of you is that pretty comprehensive we give thanks to God always for all of you making mention of you in our prayers sometimes bearing in mind your work is that what it says no look at your Bibles verse three you're not looking Verse 3, constantly, right, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, your labor of love, your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. And he goes on to do that. And I just think that thankful prayer ought to be the spiritual oil of the Christian engine. It just ought to infiltrate every corner of our life, thankful prayer we 'll talk about this in a minute a a dull thankful thankless grumbling Christian is a horrible witness because who wants to be like that um, so thankful prayer paul and notice he 's not thankful because his his you know soccer team won he 's not thankful uh, you know because his bank account is great or his family 's healthy he 's thankful why what, what is verse um, verse 4 say about the main reason he's thankful what's that yeah because god in his kind elective grace chose the thessalonians before the foundation of the world that they would be holy and blameless uh, as part of the family of god and again, do you see that, how that just cuts right through all the superficiality, the things we get caught up in, and says, you know, what ought to drive my thankfulness is not how the economy is doing or the health of my family, and those are important things, but what ought to drive my thankfulness are, are spiritual truths that are largely disconnected from how well the world happens to be doing or not doing. And, and I think a lot of Christians that struggle with thankfulness struggle because they're focused on all those wrong things. And they're not thinking a whole lot about those, um, timeless truths, the, those eternal realities. They're not meditating on the person of Christ, uh, the, the promises of Scripture. And, and so, uh, just excelling in thankfulness. And wouldn't, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be great if a visitor walks into Grace Bible Church and he's like, um, you know, it was really great. But, you know, they were just a very thankful people. They're just thankful. They're, they're just oozing joy in Jesus. I mean, that, that's that's the idea. That That's the concept. We want to excel in that. And, and it's not just oozing the joy of Jesus. We're not going to ooze the joy of Jesus if we're not acting like him. Right? That's the second part, that we would be an imitator of Christ. He says there in verse Six, he says, you also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word and much tribulation with joy in the Holy Spirit. It's interesting. He says, I got to see your example of being like Jesus more in what circumstance, does he say? In tribulation. Um, see, tribulation turns up the fire in your heart to see what boils out of it. And what he's all wound up about here is, hey, tribulation came, it kicked on the fire, and what bubbled out of the hearts of the Thessalonians is Christ-likeness. And that's a really good reminder that, that what comes out of us when things are difficult is a really true picture of how we're doing spiritually. And uh, and these folks were doing great. And, and, and in light of that... They could see that Christ-likeness in the midst of tribulation and how, specifically how they were caring for each other. And Paul gives this list. We won't read it all, but I mean, how these folks are caring for each other. They're being persistent in opposition, bold in God, speaking the truth of the gospel, being truthful and honest, pleasing God, not men, avoiding flattery, and on and on and on, right? Gentle and tender. He, he gives these, these two pictures, right? He, he's like, you're, you're gentle and tender like an affectionate mother, You're giving the gospel and self, not burdensome. Uh, But he says, you know, gentle and tender like an affectionate mother, but encouraging and exhorting like a caring father. Right? He he says, I see a a, a spiritual family caring for one another the way that Christ would care. Okay, so that's the first thing we want to excel in. We want to excel in thankful prayer. We want to excel in being a Christ-like example, specifically in how we care for one another we we, we want don't, don't we want this guys someone comes into the church we want them to see Jesus not us we want them to hear Jesus from the pulpit they want they want to sing Jesus from the music team they want to lift up Jesus in the prayer time they want to see Jesus care in our nursery and they want to feel like they've been loved by Christ himself because of our example and that's an area we need to just excel still more in you know, we're doing great. Praise God. Well, there's more to do. So let's let's keep our foot on the spiritual accelerator and be more like Jesus. Number two, Paul says to Thessalonians, I want you to excel in manifesting exemplary faith, manifesting exemplary faith. Look at this in chapter 2, verse 14. He says, For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus in Judah, for you also endured the same suffering at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews, who both killed the Lord and drove us out. Uh, They are not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved, with the result that they always fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. But. We, brethren, having been taken away from you from a short while in person, not in spirit, were all the more eager, with great desire to see your face, for we wanted to come, I Paul, more than you. And then chapter three verse one. So when we can endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left uh, behind we, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. So what, he, what he's getting at in all of this, and, and you see it in those first few um, Verses uh, those second few verses of chapter two there is he's he's saying you guys are doing a great job and it's having an effect on other churches. Um, th- this is really important, guys. So when we think about being like Christ, we're not just saying we should be like Christ because that's the right thing to do, although it is, and we should be like Christ because when people come here to the church, whether we're sharing Christ with them in evangelism or whether they are a fellow believer looking for a church home or whatever, um, we, we should be like Christ because our example is going to have influence on other churches. And that's a stewardship, isn't it? We don't ever want to be a poor example, but just because that would be a bad thing to do. But we would hate to discourage other Christians or lead other Christians astray because our example is not where it ought to be. And that's what he's saying here, is that your faith is really exemplary and it's having influence on the other churches in the region. Remember, the church is brand new. Persecution is starting. It, hit, it hits Thessalonica, and all these other churches that haven't had persecution yet are going, what are they going to do? And Paul says, I'm so encouraged that as you're um, being faithful in the midst of persecution, that is encouraging other congregations. He gives some specifics here about how they're being exemplary. They're suffering well, right? They're, they're staying the course. They're, they're committed to deep relationships in the midst of the body, that, that's, that was part of the strategy. When persecution comes, what happened? That church um, came together in care, in love, in help, and it strengthened one another so they can do that. I can't help but think, uh, you know, th- this has been going on for almost a year now in the Ukrainian church. This is exactly. Churches are pulling together. Brothers and sisters are pulling together. They're strengthening one another. They're sharing the gospel with their neighbors. They're they're trying to. How do we think about this politically and and family and you know people are moving to Poland and leaving and right and that's what happens. Is, this, is the church has come together and they're strengthening one another and, and that is God's grace to keep the believers strong in the midst of difficult challenges. Okay, and with that, thirdly. Excel in living to please God. Excel in living to please God. Not just exemplary in faith that is an influence on others, but one of the challenges that they were facing is pleasing God versus pleasing people. Uh, We we call this people-pleasing or codependency today or peer pressure. Uh, the, The Bible says that there is always... There is always a temptation to please man rather than please God. And Paul writes to the Galatians in chapter 1. You remember the Galatian church was, they were in a, in a mess because they had actually begun abandoning the true gospel for a counterfeit. And, and Paul says, do you see what your people pleasing has done? You were trying to keep this group happy and this group happy, and the end result is you compromise the gospel. And then Paul says this is chapter one, Galatians chapter one, verse ten. He says, Am I now seeking the favor of men or of God or am I striving to be to to please men? And then he says this If I were still striving to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Jesus. That's really insightful. You can't be a man pleaser and be a God pleaser. If you're a man pleaser, you're going to be a compromiser. And and Paul says, "I am so encouraged, Thessalonians, that in the midst of persecution, when it would have been easy to just kind of, you know, adapt your message to lessen the affliction, you stayed the course. And uh, you better believe, guys, that that this is a temptation for us today. Um, Let me just just think with me for a moment. What are some of the ways that Christians today are being tempted to compromise our message?" in view of pleasing other people, pleasing the culture, pleasing what's popular in society. Talk to me here. LGBT. Yeah, LGBT, yeah, gender, marriage, relationships, right, okay, for sure. Did you guys hear what happened this last week? Did you hear what, what the LDS church, the the, the Mormon church, uh, that ended up um, supporting the legislation that passed the Senate? The Mormon church, now they're not a Christian church; they're not a true gospel church, but they have been one of the most conservative religious denominations uh, since their beginning. That's huge. I was sitting in Chick-fil-A uh, this week, and there were a couple of Mormon elders. You know, they say elders; they're Mormon missionaries. Uh, you know, 20-somethings in white shirts that ride bikes, right? You know that. And I almost pulled one of them aside and said, "Hey, tell me what you think about this." because i was shy. i was utterly shy. i didn't i you know they slipped out when i wasn't looking but um it's like what is all that about okay so so lgbt relationship issues gender issues what are some other temptations abortion, abortion. life yeah wokeness, wokeness. mhm what's that church leadership. church leadership yeah corrupt church leadership or or leadership that is uh not not aligned with scriptural standards our language. Yeah, so, someone was telling me, and, I, you know, we don't, we don't watch a lot of, a lot of TV, but, you know, have you noticed that, that shows are moving from, like, ABC and CBS and NBC to everything's coming through Amazon or Netflix, and, you know, Ama, Amazon is the new Hollywood. That, that's the new production company. And, uh, there was some, you know, real, real popular series on, uh, on, um, on Amazon. And one of the it just it just renewed season, and um, one of the big critiques, even from like the Hollywood critics, is uh, how horrible the language is. And and you know it's like the the proverbial frog in the kettle. You know you don't realize the temperature's going up until you're dead. And uh, I think I think we put ourselves in entertainment where it's language, where it's sexuality where it's um, worldly concepts entertainment that that whole thing and, e- and even though we might consciously be saying we know that's wrong number 1 we're still entertaining ourselves with it and number 2 we we are searing our consciences to not react to it and this is really interesting you know when we react today against lgbt issues um, you think you know our our grandkids Are not gonna be as shocked by that as we are today. It's gonna be, it's gonna be more normal. And, uh, now, now do we need to be compassionate for people that are lost and need Jesus as bizarre or sinful as their life is? Absolutely. But we should never have a mundane, uh, stoic, unmoved reaction to things that the Bible says are sin. We, We should never be indifferent to sin. And uh, and this is one of those things. You start pleasing people, and that's what it does. It it sears our collective and individual consciences. So so Paul says, I'm so thankful that you're living to please God. He gives us some specifics here. He says, encourage others to excel in walking to please God. You say, how are we going to do that? You remember that Jesus Christ is the authority calling us to obey, and he's he's the means by which we must obey. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. He says, finally, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that just as you received from us instruction as how you ought to walk and please God, just as you do, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. You say, Pastor Keith, what's the secret to living to please God instead of people? Answer, we must remember That Jesus Christ, the commander and chief of the armies of heaven, the author of our salvation, the savior and creator and sustainer of the world, the one who gave his life for us and rose again triumphantly and intercedes at this very hour on our behalf at the right hand of God, is calling us to obey him. And the problem is, we just don't think about that much, and we let our emotions and our fears and cultural ideas lead us astray. When Jesus Himself is calling us to do this, and you know how that is—you got some person in your life, you love that person, you respect that person, you 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 look up to that person, and they ask you to do something, and you have the Chick Fil A response, right? My pleasure. You're happy to do that because you admire that person. You respect them. You look up to them. You want to honor them. And see, that that that's, that's the key. We will naturally respond to that if that's the picture of the person we have. In other words, if, if you admire Jesus and look up to him and want to honor him and please him and you love him, And you're thinking about that. Obeying Him will be easy, but we get caught up in pleasing people because we're not thinking about Christ. We're we're thinking about the cowboys. We're thinking about college football. We're thinking about what we're eating for lunch that day, and how the the lawn needs to be repaired. And we, we, right? And, And all that's not bad stuff. But we have to meditate on our Commander in Chief and our Savior. That's the that's the key. Remember, see that see that word there? Remember, that's important. Remember that Jesus Christ is the authority calling us to do that. He talks about, don't be confused about God's will, it's sanctification. First item on the list is sexual purity, isn't it? Sexual purity, your sanctification. And he goes on and talks about pursuing self-control or passions. This is why, guys, what we watch on Netflix and Amazon is the issue. Even if we're saying, okay, that's, that's I know that's not good, I know that's sinful... This this erodes, like exposure erodes our conscience to those things. And uh, we don't want to be entertaining ourselves with things that put Jesus on the cross, do we? Okay, so pursue self-control, passions, abstinence specifically from sexual sin, and he talks about that. And then in the section we've been looking at just the last couple of weeks is this excelling in loving others and giving hope, right? Chapter 4. Verse 9, he writes, Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Indeed, you do practice it, right? You're doing great, but he says in verse 10, But I urge you, brethren, to excel still more. And and that's, that's our theme. right? There we are, Grace Bible Church theme of 2022 as we come to the end of the year, excel still more in loving and caring for others. He gives us three ways to do that. Lead a peaceable life, mind your own business, engage in purposeful work, and those will help you to do that. And being an example to unbelievers, uh, and you will not need to depend on others. We talked about that. And then the second part is giving hope to others, excelling in giving hope, especially as we think about Christians that have died or people that are coming to end of life issues. We had several prayer requests, right, for Pastor Roger and, you know, friends of. Um, you know the family of a cousin that died back in august and right so so we're we're in that we live in that and paul says take what you know the bible says about eternity about christ about the gospel about future hope and let that be the main message of your care in helping other people that are grieving and, and even uh, as we think about uh, not just Encouraging people that have, um, died in the Lord. Chapter 5, we looked at this last week, so we'll just wave our hands at it. He says what? He says, and, and there are people that have died in the Lord, encourage them in that. But then you've got this whole other world that doesn't know Christ. And remember, they're saying peace and safety, and what's gonna happen? That earthquake of the day of the Lord is going to hit. Without This isn't a hurricane where we see it on Doppler radar. This isn't a tornado and the National Weather Service says, hey, we got conditions for tornadoes today, so be vigilant. The day of the Lord is like an earthquake. There's no warning. It's imminent. And while people are saying it's peace and safety, the ground of God's judgment opens up. And and that's why we have to be diligent, not just to encourage believers. Hey, Jesus is coming back. It's going to be great. We go out and tell the world, hey, there's a day coming when Jesus is coming back. And if you're not prepared, it will cost you eternity. And so we mobilize and we stay focused on our job. And he gives uh, several reminders there. And that's why uh, uh, Rusty said this a moment ago. We need to be alert, self-controlled. He says sober two times, remembering that their faith and love, the hope of their salvation uh, is there so that we can continue to encourage and build up one another and warn a fallen world of what's coming. Um, we, we do not want to be those who loved family and friends, neighbors, coworkers, people at the soccer game, um, but never warned them. About God's coming judgment. Right? That's that's not loving our neighbor if we don't warn them of what's coming. Paul says, so be sober, be alert, don't get distracted from your mission. Don't be distracted. Stay the course. Alright, last point. Some final encouragements. Look at this. In verse twelve, he says, But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you, have charge over you in the Lord. And give you instructions that you esteem them very highly and love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. We urge you, brethren, then admonish the unruly. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. See that no one repays another evil for evil. But always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Here we go. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't quench the spirit. Don't despise prophetic utterance. But examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good, abstain. Here, here, here's our command abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he will also bring it to pass. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss, and I adjure you by the word, by, by the Lord, to have this letter written, read to all the brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Just some final encouragements here. Appreciate your spiritual leaders who labor for your benefit. Um the this is a church with brand new elders. Uh, that remember Paul's kind of overseeing and then it's transitioning to to local pastors, elders. I mean, I, I totally cheated, guys. I went to seminary, I got a theological degree, then I came here and sat under Pastor Terry, you know, the pastor's pastor and mentored and encouraged and all that. I totally, totally had it easy you got these brand new pastors. They don't even have a Bible, let alone a seminary education. And they're trying to lead the flock of God. And Paul says to the Thessalonians, you know what? Appreciate them. Appreciate the work that they're doing for you to encourage you, to shepherd you in that. Even though I'm sure there were some bumps in in that endeavor there. Live at peace with one another. Again, echoing what he said before. Mind your own business. Keep your head down. Live at peace with one another. You know, a, a divided, unharmonious church is a horrible witness, isn't it? And then patiently care for people wisely. Notice the categories. Admonish the unruly. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. If we're gonna be a church that loves each other and cares for each other and, and looks out for one another, we have to establish need, right? If someone's living in sin and is unrepentant, you don't come and pat them on the back and say, I'm so sorry, your life is hard. You say, brother, I love you. What are you doing? This is clearly what scripture says. You need to repent. You're, you're, you're trashing your family. You're trashing your witness. You're in spiritual danger, right? So, so we admonish the unruly. We encourage the faint-hearted. We help the weak. We, see, different needs require different, uh, purposes, different solutions. And, and notice what he says there. Look at 14. He says, um, we urge you, brethren, uh, to do this, right? Uh, and be patient with everybody. Amen? Enough said, right? We will be patient with everybody. No matter what you're doing, patiently do that with one another. Seek to do good, even repaying good for evil. I was talking to someone this week, uh, probably a marginal believer, and she was telling me about a really hard situation with, with this person that did something bad. And we, we talked about, you know, you know, our knee-jerk response is to avoid people like that. The, the gospel-enabled, Christ-centered response is to not run away from evil but to overcome evil with good. Think about how can we do good? How can we minister in that situation? Pursue the simple will of God. I love this. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks always. If we did those three things, think of what our lives would be like. And there's, there's extra stuff. I mean, there's more than that. But, but the, think, of, think of how that would revolutionize things, right? Just, just to be people that rejoice always, pray always, give thanks always, notice the repetition, always, always, always. Even when your team loses. Even when things are hard. Um, look at that. A, a rejoicing, prayerful, thankful Christian. Though, that, that is a, a, a threefold litmus test of spiritual health, isn't it? Doesn't say, do I pass the Sunday school exam? You know, did I, did I uh, get all my blanks filled in on Pastor Terry's outline? No, no, no. No, the criteria of spiritual health is rejoicing always, praying always, being thankful always. okay. Don't quench the Spirit. Don't despise prophecy and examine everything. Those really, those things really go together. How do you quench the Holy Spirit? You disobey the, you, you disobey the Word. This is not rocket surgery, as David Gibson would say. It's not hard, not complicated. You quench the Spirit. I quench the Spirit when we don't do what he wrote in his book. Um, so this is not some mystical, weird thing. This is... We, we honor the Holy Spirit. We, we, uh, we honor the Spirit of Christ in us and we participate in sanctification when we obey the Word of God as... Remember what he says to Thessalonians back in chapter 1? We're, we're excited because when you received the Word, you received it as the Word of God and not as the Word of men. Don't despise prophecy. Of course, in this day, there was actual prophecy still being given. But actually, that, that phrase that Paul uses there, more... Um, more often in the Bible, references the Bible, the scriptures. So when he's saying don't despise prophecy, don't think like, you know, some guy giving prophecy on TBN. That's definitely not what it means. Um, What it does mean is don't despise the word. Don't despise the Bible. Don't despise spiritual things. Examine everything, right? Live with discernment. Hold on to what is good. Abstain for every, every form of evil. Guys, we have to do that every day, all the time where we're living life and we're constantly evaluating this is good okay great that's evil i'm going to avoid that and and living in a way of discernment i wish we had more time to talk about spiritual discernment but um y- you know you know you have those apps on your phone that just drain your battery you, know, you install an app unknowingly and it wants to take over you know it's always looking at your gps location it's always giving you notifications it starts sending you un- you have apps like that okay we, we don't like that those are those are not good but I'll, I'll tell you what, discernment is the app that should constantly be running in the background of your Christian life and in mine. We never turn it off. It's always running. It's always out there so that we're detecting what's going on and all that. And then this is maybe the, the most important part here. Remember God's faithfulness. Look at with me at verse 24 and we'll just conclude with this. Faithful is he who calls you and he will bring it to pass. Uh, as we think about excelling still more and the example of the Thessalonians and and our desire to to be like this church and to excel like this church, we have to land on this point that God is the one who's faithful. And because He is faithful, He will enable us to be faithful. He will bring these things to pass as we look to Him and as we trust Him. Okay? Okay? So let's excel still more because we have a faithful God that's going to do it. Uh, Lord, thank you for this wonderful book and I pray that we'll put what we've learned into practice. Make us a church that is prayerful, thankful, rejoicing, like Christ, discerning about the world, uh, grieved for a lost world and doing what we can to help them and yet confident about our future and the security of the return of Christ. And Lord, thank you that you are faithful to bring all these things about. We love you. And we thank you for our time, in Jesus' name, amen.